Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I might chip out, man. I got this, yeah. And now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time to listen to Reese and Dan on the Ankle Pick Pod. Welcome back, Ankle Pickers. We're here for the first episode of 2023, and we have a full house. Both the Koritz brothers are here. Gentlemen, how are we this evening? Doing well. What up? What up? Vibes are excellent. Vibes are excellent. So let's just call a spade a spade. We have, we already posted. So it's not the first episode of 2023. I lied. We posted our futures and our predictions for weight classes um, who will hold gold. So the, that episode is already live. But this is our first normal episode as we break down UFC fight night Strickland Imovov that is happening on January 14th. So we're recording this Thursday night. It should go live. Friday morning, if Country Club's on his schniz. I'm on my schniz. Good stuff. So Plus Kobe, YouTube guess, Friday morning. I guess you can just take it from here, Cobe, and, and kind of organize how you want to organize it. Because this is – we don't have a recap of any UFC event since it's been, you know, four months. What feels like five years. But what, where do you want to take this? Where do you want to take this, Jean? I want to take this to New Year's Eve – Let's get a uh, Bellator Rising. Let's get our international correspondent DK. Chop it up. Yeah, this oh, was uh this was my taste of what the European fans get to experience on a weekly basis. I got what was it? Um, I think it was like a two a.m., three a.m. prelim start. Um, and yeah, I I went. I worked my way around a fucking VPN for Canada bought that pay-per-view man $15 pay-per-views those are nice um but what a show they put on the walks to the ring were phenomenal it felt like a WWE event especially Juan Archuleta shout out to him um but ultimately Bellator cleaned up it was a really fun really cool event uh I was talking about it all weekend probably because there was no UFC but also just because Man, it was freaking cool. Champ versus champ across the board. Um, just a sweet event. Rumor around town, Bellator sweep. Is this true? Yes, sir. The other rumor around town is that AJ McKee dropped a fortune on his walkout gear. I think that the majority of the broadcast was putting on and taking off walkout gear. There was a couple people that had full-on teams having having to disrobe them whether it was samurai gear or yep. uh, so, so Archuleta's like AJ McKee's, AJ's McKee's claim is that he spent a hundred thousand on his walkout samurai armor that's not surprising I was uh well, all remember, night I was thinking in my head like Deontay Wilder-esque hopefully no one's got too heavy of walkout gear yeah, that was an all-time fail. Um, good. I'm glad the event was good. I'm actually kind of now hearing Dan talk about it. I'm actually a little bummed I missed it. Well, speaking of a little bit bummed, 
Let's touch on this ankle lock Manfred situation that's been all the rage over the last month. Um, I guess on a bright note, we did end up winning our ankle lock game, um, finished in first place, final record of 17 and three, more than 51 units green. Phenomenal effort from your ankle pick pod boys. And then all hell broke loose. Um, I'll let y'all get your opinions out there for a while. It was looking like we were not going to get paid trying to cut deals. The money had been gambled away. It's looking more and more like we might end up getting paid. We're a little bit further down the line, but uh, I'll just, I'll, I'll leave it open for you guys. You guys take it how you want. Oh, I have to yeah, say, I mean, or go ahead, Dan. Mine's short and sweet. Yeah. Mine, mine's a little short too. I'm, I'm pissed. I definitely wanted to get paid. I wanted the contest to be above board. Sucks. It isn't Manfred's burned his bridge with me. Um, hopefully he pays me, but I mean, that's just, whatever i want the money i don't think that we're ever going to make content with him and i don't think that i'll ever consume his content and i don't want him to be gambling just for his own health but um yeah really all i i just want the money yeah my my take's not my take's actually vastly not vastly different from dan's but i first off if you if you followed us or followed us for a while or followed us at all you're not surprised we took that challenge down let's be real 17 and three on the ankle lock and that's just a taste because that's only the second half we've been crushing ankle locks for the last three years so that part not surprised that that challenge was kind of tailored for our bread and butter where we have an ankle lock if we have to make an ankle lock we we get the ankle lock done so that part unsurprising um with the whole downfall about manprit gambling the cash away lying me that was super surprising yeah, I, I had been talking to Kobe behind the scenes all year saying, like, there's no way that this guy had built up this whole status just to and, and personal image to throw it all away like this. Yeah, it's honestly and the reason why my takes a little different is because it's honestly sad. Um, it's sad from a perspective of there's different scandals and different issues every day with people who have severe gambling addiction. And I know there was a actually something that broke the other day where some famous YouTuber who has like quarter million subs or something gambled everyone's money away on stake for some project he was doing. So it's, it's, it's a problem and it's not okay. And I'm not defending Manprit. I'm not, I really, he should never have lied in the first place. This whole thing's definitely a problem. It built on itself quite a bit. Yeah. I think that the reason why I'm leaning towards forgiving him and not necessarily trusting him with money or joining competitions, but, but forgiving him in in full is it seems like he's doing everything he can to make it right. Like I genuinely believe that Manfred is a good person who made a really, really big mistake and that happens. And I, I know that Gordo gambles, he got paid and he was the big, big one, which so good. I'm, I'm glad that it seems to have the ball rolling. And I, I, I necessarily don't know if I'll believe what Manfred says or if I'll forgive him for the delay or whatever. I know it's a problem, but I think on like a human level, I've thought a lot about it and I 
sometimes things get away from us and we people can who are undisciplined can chase their losses or think they got a bad beat or whatever. And I feel bad for the guy. I'm sure he's had family repercussions. I know he's had business repercussions. Like you said, Danny's built 10,000 followers plus 11,000 followers and no one respects him or wants to consume his content anymore where we only have 500. So we know how hard it is to build that platform. So, you know, he, he's probably out of this industry. His family probably is coming down on him. He's, he did a really stupid thing, but if we get paid in full, um, he's, he's good with me. I, I, I just, the whole situation's more sad than angering for me because it's sad to watch someone's whole life get, get kind of thrown away over a really big mistake. But, but again, I mean, let's talk. Definitely let's talk, sad. Yeah. Let, let's Wish talk you communicated me. with us even a me too. The tiny lies, little bit. Yeah. It's scary though. Cause you know that this is what he knew was going to happen. Um, but it's sad. And so I guess my real thing is I, I hope Manprit gets the help he needs. I hope Manprit can get redemption in the sport that he clearly loves. I hope Manprit can be forgiven but at the same time he needs to make things right and it seems like from what I've seen he is slowly doing that by paying people because there is a world let's be real where he disappears no one's actually going to do anything the whole contest was it's you know what I mean it, it there's there's little legs to stand on in a court of law whatever crap so he's doing it out of out of realizing that he's at fault. So I, I just, I hope, I wish nothing but the best for Manprit and I hope we get paid sooner rather than later. The second thing I want to touch on, which is crazy news and what's been packed with a crazy year is I think something that is a thousand times worse than anything Manprit's even sniffed. And that's the Dana White situation. That was exactly where I was going next. Um, it's look, I've never claimed Dana White is a good person. I know that there was a biography his mom wrote where the success kind of, he kind of got lost in the success. She doesn't recognize her son anymore. And there were things like that. And look, we all as MMA and UFC fans owe Dana White so much because what he's done for this sport is truly unlike any other commissioner or president of any other sport. I mean, getting the sport legalized in a ton of states, ton of countries, getting the sport mainstream, getting these fighters where you can actually make a living. He's done so much. However, he said it, everyone says it, you don't come back from, from putting your hands on, on, a, on a woman. In my opinion, it might be old school. I know some def uh, fighters have come to defend Dana Jamel Hill is one of the main names where he's been saying that uh, she struck first. So it's fair game, really concerning stuff like that. And I, and I know Dana came out today and said, don't defend me. Cause I know sugar Sean O'Malley defended him. A lot of guys came to his defense and that within itself is concerning for me. And so I think luckily for me, I've never had to witness anything with like my close family, my mom or my, no, no one's ever had to deal with anything like that. But I might be an old school person, but you never lay your hands on a woman. You never get close to laying your hands on a woman. And so for that, Dana White, that is someone, unlike the Manprit situation, where I don't see myself 
forgiving or, or really having the same respect I did for him ever again. And that, that's a real problem. Dan and I are University of Texas graduates, and we had a similar situation even, even in the past few months with our head basketball coach, Chris Beard, mm. who was eventually, finally, recently let go permanently. And I can't tell you what a breath of fresh air it was to just have, you know, finale to the situation where you're right, you don't come back from something like that. And obviously it's a much more difficult and, you know, we can't just get rid of Dana White. That's not how this is going to end. It's not even close. To I think it, I think it might, I think it might. And the reason why I think it might is because Endeavor is a publicly traded company and yeah. they own the UFC. And if they start feeling stock pressure or board pressure or serious, serious pressure from investors, because this, when the news broke and Endeavor stock did drop, um, I think that Dana White's name is UFC and UFC is Dana White. Like, they, they, yeah, but, they, but there's, there's a lot of carnage that's involved in that, that I'm not necessarily saying it can't happen, but I'm saying that we're, we're, we're for the worst probably without Dana along the way. I'm not Dana's saying I, that he deserves any that he deserves to stick around or whatever. I'm not trying to stick up for Dana at this point. No, I know, but no, Dana's There's a lot of carnage of, involved in no matter what happens. It's just Dana's a really done a lot of heavy lifting for sure. But us as a community need to realize that Dana White isn't going to be around forever, isn't going to live forever, and isn't going to do this forever. And that's the reality of it. And so the question is: Do we wait ten years, put this behind him? and us and just pretend like it didn't happen or pretend like, but, but that video that came out yesterday at the press conference where he said, my punishment is I have to live being labeled like this. My punishment, that is a bullshit punishment. What if Henry Ruggs's punishment was, Oh, I have to be labeled as a drunk driver. Now. It's not a that's, punishment. I mean, it, 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 that's it's not a, what it's he, a brutal, it's a brutal audio clip, video and clip, whatever it is. No one wants to hear that shit. The one other thing that I want to mention, and again, this is assuming, so I don't want to make this news, but Dana White kept saying over and over again that alcohol was involved and this was the first time. That's not an excuse either. It's definitely not an excuse. But if I've known anything from my time, when something this severe happens, I would be truly truly shocked if this was the first time now that's the assuming but i just think where i'm at as that's a where my head went to things that happen like this in public that it's bad it's not the first time it's shocking. happened in right. private and so the way i look at it is he's the face of the sport he's the face of of the company he is in charge of image fighter pay and he has he has he has cut fighters for this. He has, has put fighters on blast for similar incidents. He has said himself well before this event that you don't come back from this. I think he needs to be a man. And uh, I know he's kind of trying to steer into it, but it's a really bad look. So it, I hope 2023 cool. I don't think this is the end of it. Let's, let's leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. We're nowhere near the end of this. It's going to live with him as long as he's still involved. And yeah. we'll see where that goes from there. I, I just really it. wanted to say that obviously none of us come even close to defending him or condoning it. And I do want to say for those who do watch this program, that if you're behind the fighters who are defending it, or if you're someone who defends that type of action, then 
you really need to consider on what actually happened, you know, cause it, it's, it's bad. And, and look, I don't want to hold anything against Jamal Hill or, or Sean O'Malley or any of those guys. I know that they're just speaking what they believe and, and I'm all for open forum discussions, but this is one of those issues that I think out of everything that's happened so far in 2023, and it's a lot between Manprit and fucking Baroni murder and all this stuff. Um, a lot of fight cancellations. It's, we've gotten off to a rocky start, but this, this one is the one that I hope more than anything, we get some resolve, kind of like what you said with the Chris Beard situation, because, you know, as fans of this sport, there's so many times where we get judged or people don't understand. They're like, oh, you're watching modern gladiators. Oh, this sport's disgusting. It's hard to watch, whatever. Dana's legitimized that. And now that he's, you know, laying his hands on his wife, it, it definitely makes it feel back to what is this sport, you know? And so it's sad. So I wanted to touch on that, but Manprit might be getting an easy walk in my eyes because the situation that I'm the most upset about is the Dana White one. Rightfully so. Yeah. Nothing to add. Completely deplorable. One gone. Let's keep it moving with some fighter news. Um, Demiris Magulov announced that he's retired due to health complications. Real sad if that's the the last we see of Demiris Magulov. I know he's a favorite of us on the pod. Anything else to add there? Well, I don't want to pry for anything, and I know it would be all speculative to even pretend like I know what the health situation is. But I do want to mention for those people who are hoping to see Demir again, there's a lot of guys who step away from this sport for mental health reasons. Jimmy Flick, a guy fighting this weekend, is a good example of that, where he stepped away for his mental health, and he's now coming back after he seemed to have his ducks in a row. I know Brad Riddell has talked similarly, too, with the mental health aspect. And the biggest, most acclaimed one out of all, George St. Pierre. He stepped away from the sport for good for a long period of time in his prime for the mental woes. So, look, I have no idea what's going on with Demir. Um, if it's physical, I wish him nothing but a speedy recovery. If it is mental, I wish him nothing but a speedy recovery, hopefully figuring out what's triggering it. But I, I do hope that whatever it is, we do see Demir as Mugulov again. So I, I, the reason why I mention that is because I want people to hold out hope that Demir hopefully can uh, go back to fighting if that's something he wants to do. We'd love to see him. And I know Dan was a huge Ismagulov guy. I mean, from a fight style standpoint and from a, just the way he handled Yoel Alvarez, I remember Danny Prospect King. Uh, he's someone that, that Danny turned me on to early. So, sad. Speaking of prospects, we had the UFC sign a prospect, Shara Magomedov. Dan, do you have info on this man? 17-0, 13-0. 13 knockouts, kickboxing backgrounds. I was about to say, turn to Dan. Don't even bother asking me. This is Danny's wheelhouse. I, I mean, I, I wish I had something more specific. I really only have seen what uh, everyone's been reposting online. He looks like a dangerous guy. Completely marketable. Fiery red hair. Got that. That's, that's Dan. Oh <laughs> Fiery red yeah. hair. Ankle pick pod red hair. What's crazy too is it's like you're seeing the Imavov style of the, and I know he's people label him as France, but he's from Dagestan, but or the Umar Namagametov style where these guys are just vicious on their feet. And then you got the normal style that you think of and like the Habib 
Dagestani handcuffs smother him. There is going to be somebody who merged the two flawlessly, and we will have a perennial beast. Like, Islam striking is horrible, but, like, you know, what's Imavov's wrestling look like? Like, it's we're going to find a merger. Maybe it's going to be this kickboxing freak show that has red hair. All right, I'm ready to rattle through some fight announcements. All right, I'll try to keep quiet, but I'm excited. Jack Della Madalena, my boy, Randy Brown in Perth on February 11th. A live murder in Perth on February 11th? <laughs> Shocked that's sanctioned. Tyler Santos and Aaron Blanchfield, two names we were both hot on in, uh, the, in the Division Futures episode. That is February 18th. So did this fight get announced pre or post the Division Futures episode? Before... It was announced before, but we hadn't talked about it. Okay. The only reason why I'm wondering is because I feel like that could affect the odds. Winner of that is guaranteed number one contender, right? Or am I missing something? I think winner of that gets Val. Right? So, like, if you could play. You could take both. I think that they were nine and six, they right? They were. They were. So, that's what I'm saying. You could take both and get a free shot at a, a Shevchenko upset. So, that's interesting. Or if you have a strong opinion on one, let's say you really believe Blanchfield wins that fight, take her future to hold gold. Same night, Cheeto Vera and Corey Sandhagen. No way. I missed this. Wow. Eight UFC Apex, though. So what the fuck's happening with Sugar? Sugar Cejudo? That's weird. Okay, interesting. There's a lot of there's a lot of moving pieces there. Man, who do you like in that one? Out of curiosity, you know it's funny because I think Corey Sandhagen will dominate one and two. Cheeto will dominate four and five, and it's all about that third round. So Dan's on the over. Uh, We've got a rebooking for the Bo Nickel Jamie Pickett fight March fourth. Okay, that's actually a live murder. Um, this is news to you guys too, but I met a buddy of Bo Nichols while I was in Mexico, wrestled at Penn State. So might have a little inside track there. That would be awesome. That'd be sweet. You better bought that guy drinks all weekend. I did. Um, Derek Brunson, Dreykus Duplessis is the same night, March 4th. Question, blonde Brunson or not blonde Brunson? Last we've seen, it's blonde <laughs> Uh, we have, all right, let's talk UFC San Antonio, which is March 25th. Danny will be there. I will not, unfortunately. I'm double booked. Reese, I'm praying will be there with us. Kobe's a loser. Loser. Sean Brady and Michelle Pajeda. Now that's a fun fight. Stylistically, rubber meets the road there. Let's call a spade a spade. That's a good one. And unfortunately, Kaikar France has been injured. He was supposed to fight Alex Perez. Instead, Manel Cape will be fighting Alex Perez. And we talked about that one a little bit on the Division Futures episode. What was the in- injury? How severe is it? Is I it, don't you know? have okay. it. We'll get the stats department on that. Well, a lot of time with combat sports, they just say undisclosed anyways. But yeah. I'm more just curious because if it's something severe, that could really shake the division up. Two weeks later, April 8th, Adrian Yanez and Rob Font. Stylistically, that's a dream fight because finally, 
Adrian Inez is we're going to be able to see what he can do against a real striker. You know what I mean? That is a fun, fun, fun one. And the last thing, as we transition into this week, we have obviously the news this week, short notice, Kelvin Gastelum out. Sean Strickland, short notice, will be replacing him against Nasruddin Imabov. That's the main event of UFC Vegas 67 here, Saturday the 14th, 3 p.m. Central Time prelims, 6 p.m. Central Time main card. Sweet. So anyone who followed on Twitter saw that I posted my first official play. It was Imavov against Gastelum. I love that spot for him. I also like this spot. I did lower the units because of the question marks around short notice. I know I'm jumping to the head of the card, but um, the line's moving like a runaway train. That's the reason why I wanted to mention. I got 110 on DraftKings, and I saw it's already 130. So get it while she's hot. But, Dan, let's start. And so this is, like Kobe mentioned, Strickland, Imavov. This Saturday, and it starts at 3 p.m. Central Time, 4 p.m. Eastern for the prelim. So you can go out and celebrate, have a good time after. So Priscilla Cashwea versus Sajara Eubanks, Dan, at 125. This one shook me to my core because what the line is. It's Sajara Eubanks minus 245, Cashwea plus 210. So I get it. Sahara Eubanks can wrestle, and Priscilla Cashwea has zero wrestling. But we're still talking about 12 and four versus seven and seven. The seven and seven is quite, quite the big favorite. What's your take on this? Predictable take, dog or pass. You won't yeah. catch me paying a big old uh, favorite price on Sarge. Um, I doubt she even makes weight. I know that we're going to have weigh ins tomorrow morning, and this might be posted as you're watching weigh ins. But uh, look out for that one. It's just crazy, too, because it opens uh, pretty close to even. I don't want to, like, quote that, but it was – it should say – I'm using bet uh, fight, fightodds.io these days, but it, it has run up since open, and I'm not sure where people are getting this confidence on a Sajara Eubanks. I know she kicked the brakes off of – what was her name? Um, Elise Reed, who, where was Sajara Eubanks, the massive dog? Uh, maybe I'm thinking of someone else, but she's yeah. a favorite over Elise Reed. Julia Vila. I don't know, but this is, it's just, this one's really interesting to me. I thought dogger pass, but it sounds like it's going to be a double pass. Cause I just don't believe, I don't trust either of these women enough from what they've shown me to put harder in cash there. It's, Pretty much, it really does just come down to that. Next fight on the card, Jimmy Flick versus Charles Johnson. And this one's very interesting because currently where it sits, Jimmy Flick is plus 285, Charles Johnson minus 345. But it gets weirder because it opened at Charles Johnson minus 134. And it got as high as like minus 500. High five, 480s, 490s, 500s. And it's finally tapered back settled in around 350. Dan, I, I like flicking this one, man. I, I, I like flicking this one for, for one reason and one reason only. He's got a very disgusting dynamic submission game. And Charles Johnson, as active as he is, as good of a striker as he is, he's well-rounded. But let's be real. He lost that fight to Zalgas. 
Zumagulov. He was losing every round to Carlos Mata before he knocked him out. And he got dominated by Mikhaev. I know people are low on Jimmy Flick because they're not quite sure why he's returning. They haven't seen him in a very long time. But he flying triangled Cody Durden in his UFC debut. He got a triangle uh, choke in his contender series fight. I think the submission is open. I, I would agree with you, and I wanted to be on the flick side. Ultimately, this is another pass for me. Um, the thing about Johnson, although I don't think he should be this kind of favorite, and based on the price, I might end up throwing a sprinkle at flick. That's my problem. Um, yeah. His best two qualities, though, are his takedown defense and his submission defense. And a guy in Flick who isn't the best wrestler, I think is going to have trouble getting this fight to the mat. And when he does, I just don't see him being able to finish somewhere that Mohamed Mokhayev had so much trouble. Um, I do see this one being a pretty boring fight, and I don't think that Johnson covers the price at all. I just think that the way that Flick wants to get this done happens to be where Gerald Johnson is the most sound. So this is actually interesting because your take is the same as mine. The problem is I feel like the line has run up too far. And people have agreed because it's come back from that 500. But is the 350 still too expensive? Could just I guess it could just be a pass. I mean, at PK, I'm taking Charles Johnson. At even like minus 150, I probably like Charles Johnson. But 350 for a guy as dangerous as Jimmy Flick feels like it's run out. But it, it, you're right. It might end up being a pass. Um, Daniel Argetta, and he has his short notice opponent, opponent, Nick Aguirre. And let's see when it got canceled. So Argetta lost Isaac Dolgarian on really recently. Um, so this is his short notice opponent, uh, opponent, Nick Aguirre. Aguirre is seven. It's got to be Aguirre, right? Or Aguirre. Aguirre. Dan, do you know? We'll find out Saturday. Yeah, it is a super short notice. But this guy's 7-0, and he has seven finishes, I believe. Yeah, he does. All first round, one second round in his most recent fight. So it is against guys. It is against guys, though, that are 1-1, one 0-2. One, oh and two. Shocking, you know. shocking level of opponent. I was gonna um, and then on the other side, you got, you got uh, Daniel Ar- Ar- Argetto, who has fought Damon Jackson in the UFC and then also had a, a long um, LFA stint as well. So he's no stranger to the octagon what the line's out of control here dan it's um argetta minus 250 or 5 520 geez sorry had a brain space and aguari plus 410 where do you take this i mean is there a sprinkle on the on the guy who's fought bums or or i mean there's no value on the argetta side in my opinion yeah i i agree i this card's really tough because everyone like you and I sat around for five weeks and uh, beat up these lines. And it really feels like come, come fight week, a lot of them are unplayable, uh, yeah. especially with the, the amount of short notice replacements we have. And I'm just not going to trust my money on, on a guy who's only been a pro fighter for like two years and has fought cans. Um, and that being said, I, I wasn't so impressed by Argetta. I think that his, most impressive showing was a loss to Jamin Jackson where he just kind of hung around. Um, I do agree. He should probably win this. He's a wrestler at his base, but I don't think he's a great fighter. His, yeah. his striking's not great. Technically. I mean, 
he moves forward and optically it looks like he's winning moments, but I, I'm just, this is a, a huge pass for me. Yeah. This whole card feels like it's almost taped together with scotch tape. I mean, it is, it is falling apart. And I mean, we're three fights in already. And I can honestly tell you that you would think having four weeks off of no fights, the card would look a little meatier than, than where we're at. Alan Nascimento taking on Carlos Hernandez at 125. Nascimento finds himself at a whopping minus 330. Carlos Hernandez plus 275. This line opened at Nascimento minus 190. And like Dan said, people sitting around all, all, all week or last four weeks, it, it opened on January 2nd. And by the time January 3rd came rolling around, it was already at the, the 350 mark. And it's kind of plateaued since. I mean, look, I I love Nascimento in this spot. I don't love Nascimento at the price. And the bigger problem is Nascimento, not a finisher, but he can. So it's like, do I do the submission? Do I do the decision? I I, I like Nascimento. I don't know how to even get a play on him with this current price. And everything that I read on the Hernandez guy seems like a capable grappler on paper. Um, the split decision we... to Victor Altamirano really turned me off. And then he actually lost his split decision on the contender series. And they gave, so they gave him the W on his contender series split decision. And it was like, I remember at the time going into the decision, he was live pro plus. And then he lost. And then the Victor Altamirano was similarly sketchy. So when you step up to a guy like Alan Nascimento, in my opinion, it's going to be out of his skill set, out of his wheelhouse, you know? Yeah, I agree. Definitely a huge step up. The only, the only thing that I have hesitations about Nascimento is he's the kind of guy that accepts being off his back and he's dangerous there and he's, he's working there, but he doesn't do a lot of sweeps to win minutes. Yeah. So you could see someone paying the minus 330 on Osmento and then finding out that he lays on his back for three rounds trying to rip off a sub. I could see Hernandez winding up in another sketchy split decision. Yeah. And I don't want to be holding a big minus 350 ticket when he when that happens. Yeah, the only way for me to approach Nascimento because I sub and decision are so likely if he does win this, I think my approach is going to be maybe a parlay with some of the bigger favorites up the card that we're getting to. Um, so Jahavid Bashrat is taking on Mateus Men- Mendoka. How do you do that in that in, in Brazil, that C with the little underscore thing? But I'm going to call him Matus for now. Jahavid Bashrat and, and Matus are – oh, there's Matus Rebecca on this card. Shit, I can't call him Matus. Mendonca. So we got Bashrat Mandanka, Bashrat minus 315, Mandanka plus 260. And this is a, a parlay piece I'm actually into. Well, line open to uh, Bashrat minus 260. So it has steamed a little bit. But yeah, so- and, I, and I, I agree with the steam. He's a guy who we saw, I mean, we're, we pay very close attention to Tony Grappley fights, and yeah. Bashrat picked him apart. I know that Tony won the first round on the scorecards, but – that was a, a little bit of a, a toss-up for me. 
Uh, Basarat is extremely dangerous everywhere, especially on the feet with his footwork, his accuracy. Um, he fights at a steady but super fast pace. Um, he can he can wrestle and, and took down Tony, who's an All-American, who's an American top team, absolute beast when it comes to uh, his wrestling chops. Um, so I do like this Basarat spot. Um, as a parlay piece, I think this is a guy the UFC's building. He's undefeated. I don't think that a guy like Mendonca um, is on the same level as a Gravely. Are you concerned, though, about Mendonca's ability to finish via submission, via KO? I mean, he's young, he's powerful, he's got a big frame for 35. Are you worried that you're going to be holding a ticket on a guy who can get that flash KO? Or do you think Bashrat's got, from what you've seen, the fight IQ to kind of keep that at bay. I think Basharat's got it covered. Uh, I, I think okay. that everyone's real dangerous when you get down to it. And I, I don't think that a guy like Mendonca is even as dangerous as a Trevin Jones in terms of one punch power. Okay. I like that. So now we're getting more to kind of unbettable lines here. Mateus Rebecki, a guy who got a pretty dominant, decision on the contender series this last season is taking on Nick for Fior and Fior is a another really short notice replacement. The line is Mateus Rebecca minus 740 Nick Fior plus 540. But what's interesting about this one is Fior, I believe is another, yeah, I'm right. Short notice replacement. No, or am I? Yeah. He, he's replacing Omar Morales short notice. And so what's interesting about this one, it's another guy making his UFC debut. He's six and zero, and his, he fought a five and 19, 15 and 13, eight and four, three and nine, Jay Ellis, 15 and 98. And then Jay Ellis again, 15 and 91 when Jay Ellis fought that first time. So you have a guy who's had the definition of zero formidable pro performances although he is seven to no, I mean, how do you cap someone who you haven't seen? You know, I, I don't know how to, how to approach this one. Rebecca by finish. I don't, is that line out of reach? I don't know, Dan, what, what's your angle here? I'm more just excited for this one as a fan. Okay. Um, Nick Fiore is what I, I might screw up the number here, but he, he's a member of new England cartel. I think he's the, the third one um, of four total to fight in the UFC. I mean, we're talking personal training from Tyson Chardier. He's managed by Tyson Chardier. He's getting all of his rounds in with Bob Font and Calvin Cater. Um, I've heard a lot about his jujitsu. So it's definitely super short notice, um, a major, major step up in competition. Um, But man, I'm excited to see how he handles it. He's he's a black belt at Henzo Gracie Philly, which is a camp that we talk about a whole lot on on this show. so well, I'm my, hoping that we get to watch some 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 of his grappling. Well, my question for you then is, is there a world where a ticket at Fury plus 540 is worth holding on to because of the type of sparring partners he has? He is 50, 155. That's right in their wheelhouse. Um, do you think that there's a game plan slash stylistic angle he can approach with his training partners that make five, a 540 ticket worth it? Or is this just too much, too fast, you know? I struggle to find a great read on, on Rebeski. I think that 
obviously he's a tank. He's going to press forward and, and look for that take down the ground and pound the smash. Um, the I don't know if he's absolutely world-class at that or not. And that's where, um, that's where I hesitate on my read, but I, I'll probably end up on with an untracked lottery ticket or from some New England cartel. Just okay. To, okay. That, that's why I'm glad I asked. I'm glad I asked. I won't recommend it to, to like on my track page or, or sell it as a pick ever. Um, but this is definitely a fight I'm really excited for. It's a camp that has a lot of success and, and his accolades on paper are that, that the lines off, but um, it's really just on paper. Yeah. It's, it's tough because there is that world of, UFC debut, massive leap in competition, and he's 25 years old. So it's not like training with Bob Font and Cater will get him there in five years from now. It's more like, is he ready for the 16 and one Polish monster first fight on short notice? You know, we'll see. Mm-hmm. That might, I might follow you in on the lottery ticket. Abdul Razak Al Hassan takes on Claudio Hiberio. A, this one actually, this one I, is this one also short notice. Um, so many short notice. This one, it's not scratched oh, out. Hassan was a uh... who's a house supposed to fight, but nonetheless, I mean, I guess we got to work with what we got. Uh, this is minus 105, minus 115, so it's pretty much pick them. Uh, Abdul Razak Al Hassan is the minus 105. It opened at Abdul Razak Al Hassan at minus 115, went to minus 130, and is just kind of tapered back. I mean. This one's the one I'm most interested to hear your take on. And the reason why is because you have a guy who is coming off the contender series, very dominant finish. But when you look outside of his contender series fight, he has fought in, in a similar vein to 0 and 1, 0 and 1, 0 and 1, 24 and 28 and 6. And so you have a guy who is UFC weathered, who has a ton of power, who trains at Fortis MMA, who is coming off fights that went to the bell like of Joaquin Buckley. Is this underpriced or overpriced? I mean, there, this seems like a very playable fight at PK. The question is where? You know, I'm leaning towards uh, Claudio. Me too. Me too. And, and Al Hassan is a guy who's really fun to watch. Um, I think we, when we first broke him down, uh, was right before his, his spell of really bad results. Um, and we broke it down Al Hassan by murder in the first 30 seconds. Yeah. And that's because he throws nukes. And when they land, people go to sleep. But he struggles to carry that power over even five minutes. And when he gets out of that first round, he really, really struggles to win. And I know he looked decent against Buckley. Um, I think he switched his he camp. Better, uh, yeah. He yeah better. Changing training at ele- elevation, um, but ultimately, even in that fight, was just getting absolutely touched up and was a step behind and a step slow after the fifth minute. I, I do think also, that can just last. He will be. Yeah, it, it, that's not getting that's not getting better. It's uh, his cardio issues are only going to be more exasperated. And I think that. Although Rivera on the regional scene hasn't fought the highest level of opponent, he does look athletic. He looks really powerful. Um, he looks like he's a game striker that can avoid a nuke. Okay. The other thing, too, that's interesting is this fight happening at – yeah, so this is happening at middleweight. And 
And Claudio last weighed in at 180. So I'm wondering, that might have been a missed weight. It's hard to imagine missed by 11 pounds, maybe a catch weight, but he's an undersized middleweight where Abdul Razak really fills out his build. But yeah, I, I, I also lean on the Claudio Ribeiro fight. And I think I will find myself one unit on that side come Saturday. Okay. Main card. We got the juice. Umar Nurmagomedov, 15 and 0. Met this guy in person. Pretty cool guy. Doesn't speak English. Honey Barcelos on the other side at 17 and 3. Always game for a tough fight. And this line, Dan, more than any line I've ever seen, is unjustly priced. Umar Nurmagomedov is minus 975. Hayoni Barcelos plus 675. And this is where. And this is where I have a problem, Dan, is it is the only scenario you bet this fight is on the Hione Barcelo side. However, what's the point in having value on a losing ticket? Do you see what I'm saying? It's like, I definitely have the value. If you run this fight 500 times, like Umar's going to win such a high percentage of them. However, this is unjustly priced. Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you said. And, and like, that's obviously it sounds like we don't understand value. Um, but this, this is a unique sport where you're not going to get the same massive matchup over a extended whatever sample size. So, yeah, I don't think Umar loses Hione Barcelos, but there's no reason that to anyone in the world wants to take the dog. So, so, so I, I will be taking a lottery ticket sprinkle, okay. probably a quarter unit on Hione track too. Yeah, Just, you have to. But I think I'll join you, especially because Hione's fighting. I mean, he fought Saeed to a unanimous decision victory. I mean, we're talking. I do like about- the over. I don't think I don't think that Umar finishes him. I think mm. that. Especially if, with the way that Umar fights, they, they're going to be spend a lot of time grappling. Sight or Hayoni's uh, as game as anyone comes down there. The line is somewhat dangerous. It's over two and a half minus two fifty. Fight goes to decision. You can get it minus two hundred five, uh, two twenty five. It is that something at that price that that tickles your fancy, or is it just more of an idea? More of an idea. Okay. Just wanting to clarify, but yeah, I'll probably join you on this lottery ticket as well, because like, I know Umar's going to win. I just know he is, but like, I don't care. This is, this has gotten out of control. And I mean, Umar's a guy who all like forget prospects, forget whatever. He could really be holding gold at the end of the year or early next year. And I wouldn't be surprised at all. Like oh, zero yeah, one bit. He's a real future contender. Hundred percent. The other thing I want to mention for everybody is this line open. Vegas opened this line at Umar minus two hundred. How many Barcelos plus one seventy? Every fight that Umar's been in, he got he was minus two hundred against Hione. He was minus five hundred against uh, Nate Maness, and he was minus two seventy against Brian Kelleher. Every one of those three have ran up to where Umar, Brian Kelleher closed at minus 1,500. 
Uh, Nate Manass closed at minus 1300 and currently against how many Barcelos he's closing at a thousand. And it's just, look, I, I, I think he holds gold. I think he's phenomenal, but Matt Sarah knocked out GSP. Leon Edwards head kicked Kamara Usman. I mean, it, it, you can't say these li- these tickets don't come in. <laughs> so I, I will also be joining you on the Hione Barcelos train. But I don't want people going out there thinking Hione Bar- we're telling you that Hione Barcelos and, and Umar are equal. You know, I'm just saying that where this line is currently priced, it's hard pressed not to find yourself on Hione. Ketlin Vieira taking on Raquel Pennington at 135. Ketlin Vieira minus 120. Raquel Pennington plus 100. Lined opened at Ketlin Vieira minus 145. And it's kind of, I mean, it got all the way up to like minus, minus 105. And then it's kind of trickled back. So a PK women's fight, Dan, the science won't work, won't help you here. What are you doing? Yeah, these are two fighters I struggle with. Rocky, definitely the better wrestler. Great top control. Um, I think that she'll win this fight as long as she doesn't get stuck on bottom. She's not great off her back at all. And uh, Ketlin has some nice judo throws. But I don't know. I saw a lot of rattling about this fight possibly going under, that Rocky would finish her on the mat, that Ketlin's got dangerous hands. I'm not sure that I agree with that. Um, I think this could be another snoozer that spends a lot of time leaned up against the cage in between uh, that that grappling and Muay Thai realm. I tend to lean Rocky. I won't be betting this. Well, one of the reasons why I want to mention this too is I actually am on a bit of a hot streak here with tailing uh, Rocky. She uh, was in a parlay when she fought Marion Hanel. I mean, it was, that was a, a gift. Um, she was like minus, what was it? Where was it? Minus 175 against Marion Hanel. And then she started getting a little more love. I laid off um, the Chiasen fight. It was a little too expensive, but I, I was on for Piani Kianzad and Aspen Ladd, and she cashed both those tickets too. So I think I'm actually going to put a half unit tracked on Pennington here in a fight where I think she's, she should be a slight favorite, not a slight dog. So it's a small value play and it won't be a full unit because I'm not in, at, as confident in her as I am in, in Claudio uh, Riberio. So that's more like that. reasoning, but what's up? I like, I like where your head's at. Wait, yeah. So I, I think that if I were to price this line, I would have, uh, Rocky at like minus 140, minus 150. So the fact that I'm getting a, a plus 100 or, or plus 105, that to me is something I can sink my teeth into. Okay, now we're starting to get, this is where everyone probably fast forwarded to. So welcome to the ankle pick pod. Punahele Soriano, Roman Kapilov. Punahele minus... 155 Roman Kapilov plus 135 Punahele opened at minus 180 so it's actually coming off him a little bit what's your take this is a tough one and you know I'm just I think I'm not a believer in Roman Kapilov he's a guy who's too low volume for me 
Um, he doesn't do anything specifically great. And I think that Punahele walks him down and lands a big Hawaiian coconut bomb. Um, I, I, I like the Soriano side. I think that's the side I'll, I'll end up playing tracked. Um, and I even see a knockout in his future. I think he lands a big right hand after walking him down for a couple rounds and Kapilov slows down maybe in round two, early round three, and just kind of has a moment, one of those mental lapses where he, he makes the wrong step, gets caught up in his footwork, and eats a right hand. Dan, I have a question for you. Who was Carl Roberson's most recent win? Yeah, is it the Roman Kopilov fight? It is. <laughs> it is. And that intrigued me. And so I went back and I watched that fight. And Carl Baby K, the kickboxer, with his like 10 minutes of grappling in that fight. Yeah. And I don't believe Punahele has any interest in going into that realm. However, I think that actually bodes well for him because stylistically, this fight kind of a dream for him and he's gonna have a guy who's willing to engage in those striking matches he's gonna have a guy who's willing to potentially step into as you called it one of those coconut bombs he's not gonna bring the style that maximov or brendan allen brought he's gonna bring the style that todorovic and, and lugi and bula brought and so i think that this fight for punahele is a dream and i'm a little surprised the lines come off as hard as it has and I think Punahelve gets the the finish with one of those, what would you call it, coconut bombs? Oh, I, I'm, I was mixed up my brain here. I, I was, uh, that's Maki Popolo's nickname, isn't it? Uh, not, not Puna. But Punahelve is still. Um, Puna is the one that throws the coconut Yeah, bombs. he throws the coconut bombs. <laughs> uh, fighting out of Hawaii. So I'm still with it. We'll call but, Maki Patola Puna from now on. And we can call it Puna <laughs> coconut bombs. I'm in for that. But good. So I, I too, am going to find uh, myself a track plan, Puna Hele. What, what are you looking at? One unit, two units, risk one unit to win one unit? What I do think you I'm going to go risk two. Okay. So risk two at the minus 150 win. Uh, okay. I, I like that. I, I'm going to be in a similar vein as well. I might do to win one unit and pay the juice. We'll see. Co-main event, Dan Ige, Damon Jackson. This line is Ige plus or minus one, uh, 25, Damon Jackson plus 105. This line opened at Damon Jackson minus 160, so it's completely reverted. And I'm seeing a bit, for a fight that's priced at even, I'm seeing exactly what you would expect. People on both sides. Whenever I'm on social media, Facebook groups, Twitter, whatever. I see people in the Ige camp. I see people in the Damon Jackson camp. I'm really intrigued by your take, even though I think I know your take. My guess, if I know my buddy, is he, you're leaning the Ige side. You'd be correct. Okay. And I, too, am leaning the Ige side. But I think Damon Jackson is too dangerous to have anything tracked here. Am I wrong on that? Like, do you think you're going to get your toes in the water? Because you've got a guy in Danny Gay who's a black belt in BJJ, a brown belt in judo, and you are getting him at an extremely cheap price for a 31-year-old because of the Korean zombie Josh Emmett, who's currently fighting for an interim belt, and a Movzar Evalev unanimous loss. 
but we're forgetting about the guy who beat up on Mizrod Bektik, knocked out Gavin Tucker clean, beat Edson Barbosa. So there's two sides to this coin and the guy who's an extremely weathered UFC veteran and at the age of 31, Damon Jackson is a very refreshing taste compared to Mozart. But Damon Jackson, yeah, I think absolute ripper, dude. That Pat Sabatini caught us both by surprise. That was crazy. Oh, big time. Big time. So, that was not how I expected that fight to go. So um, outside of you Ilya, covered it. For me, well, it's, outside it's of Ilya Tapuria, Dan, Dan, outside of Ilya Tapuria, Damon Jackson has won his last six. Yeah, but you line up Camuela Kirk and Dan Argetta and Charles Rosa and Ige's got first round knockouts too. Yeah, that's fair. I, I For me, I think you outlined it. Ige is still that dude. Uh, he's done no favors to himself by accepting only murderer's row uh, for every single fight he's ever been in. And um, I think that this is probably the highest the Damon Jackson stock could ever be and maybe the lowest the Dan Ige stock could ever be. And um, that's why we're getting a plus in front of it when I, I, I line this like really Ige minus 180. Yeah. See, I, I had it a little lower. I had eat, So I, I think you take a similar approach, but before taping and before finding out the lines, we've usually done set the spread for the main card. So we kind of find them out, but I like to look at what I imagine the line is. Cause we come in to set the spread with like what the line we think it is. And I had Danny Gay minus minus one sixty. So to see what you're saying makes sense. The, my fear is I thought the same thing with Pat Sabatini. And so am I, are we misreading Damon Jackson or. Ige is so much more game on the feet than Sabatini is. Sabatini is a guy that absolutely needs the fight to be going his way to win. Ige's mm-hmm. game everywhere. We saw, we saw yeah, Ige. I mean, he had multiple takedowns against Cater. He had was back and forth. And in, in that fight, um, I mean, he, he's been a game in every single fight he's been in despite fighting the killer like literally some of the most oh, he has i mean ever. going to unanimous decisions with the likes of josh emmett a guy who is is fighting for the interim belt calvin cater korean zombie i mean even if they're the 49 46s or whatever i mean you have a guy who is getting very valuable rounds in holding his own that i'm kind of with you i think all those guys do a lot more damage on damon jackson so again what 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 do you have here? What do you think about? Danny? I think I'm going to play Ige for two units as well. Wow, this is actually kind of a meaty card for Danklagers, and I like, I like it, it too because we're agreeing on a lot of it. And whenever we've agreed, it has usually bode well for us. Main event: Sean Strickland, Nasser Dean Imavov. I've tipped my hand egregiously early, but I'll break it down again. Anyways, Nasser Dean is currently sitting at minus 130, Strickland at plus 110. This opened at like PK, 115, 105. So it's moved only a tad, but it's definitely moved. This is a short notice replacement. Strickland was the last main event of 2022. He is subbing in for Kevin Gastelum, who had to withdraw via mouth injury. So Dan, I'm, I'm, I've spoiled my hand, so I'm going to leave this one off and then poke holes in my logic here. Sean Strickland, phenomenal striker. We all know that. He, he's a striker at trade. Nasruddin Imavov, phenomenal striker. Shockingly, a striker at trade. What we've seen out of Nasruddin 
is an involvement in the ground game. Buckley is a great example. What he did to Shabazzian is a great example. Stylistically, this Strickland fight is by far going to be the toughest fight he's been in because of the way they both like to fight. Strickland likes to fight in the pocket, work off that jab, stay in a phone booth, and Nasruddin will engage there. Here's why I feel comfortable placing Imovov at that. I got it at 110. And here's the reason why I feel comfortable placing it at 110. And I would probably play it all the way up to 140, which I, I tweeted about. Sean Strickland is lower volume. Sean Strickland works, leans off that jab. And Sean Strickland's footwork, although deceptive, people clown him for his footwork because he's extremely flat-footed. He's really good at sliding out of the pocket. So I don't want to insult him and say that his footwork is shit. It's not shit. It's just unique. But when you're facing a guy on the other side, like Imavov, um, I know the Cannoneer split decision was could have gone either way and same with Jack Hermanson. They both could have gone either way. But when you look at a guy like Imavov, he brings a very, very unique style. And it's a style where he will be in and out. He will be throwing leg kicks, which Jared Cannoneer beat the shit out of Strickland's leg with those leg kicks. And I think that the involvement and the, the working in of the wrestling for this high-paced 26-year-old is good. My only fear, and the reason why I bopped it down from two units against Gaslam to one unit here, is because, I'm going to be honest, Imavov has shown that he relies solely on head movement, and that could bode for... Sean Strickland finding a home. I'm not banking on it. I really think it's unlikely. I just think it's possible. My other small fear, Dan, is cardio issues. Imovov really started to fade at the end of his Buckley fight. He did throw high volume, but he did start to fade in a three-round fight. Strickland is no stranger to five-round wars. The only reason why I'm not putting as much stock into that is because Imovov always was training for a five-round fight. And this whole this fight was always meant to be five rounds. Now, we've never seen him go five rounds. We haven't seen him since the Buckley fight. So the last we've seen, he started to fade in the end of the – or midway through the third. But I, I, I'm kind of – Also, the five-round fight that he's training for is a much higher pace fight than a Strickland fight. Gastelum's a guy that Absolutely. is is – Counterpunching with you every time you throw more more so than Strickland working behind that jab. That too. And so with Imovov, I, I really like his style. I really like his striking. He really puts together combinations. He's extremely accurate. And outside of Phil Hawes, who is a stylistic nightmare, who I think that if they ran back right now after he beat up on Shabazi and beat up on Heinish and he's 10 minutes of control time against Buckley, where you can see the improvements, I think he wins that one too. And so you, you have a guy who's 26 years old. Every single fight I watched, the leaps and bounds from the fight before are insane. But this is a step up in competition. I do want to notify that. So I did end up going one unit, minus 110 for Nasruddin. Um, please tell me where your head's at. 
is it worth adding another unit? Is it worth sticking in my one unit? Am I, are you a little nervous about it? Or are you even maybe even on the, on the other side? What's, what's, what's your take Dan? Cause I value your take. I'm pretty aligned with your thinking. I, I ultimately for me, it's a pass right now. Uh, if I do play it, it won't, it'll be a maximum of one unit or to win one unit um, on the Imavov side. Sean Strickland's a guy I hate betting on fights that he's included in. He's so hard to predict what Sean Strickland's going to show up. And it's not so much like, it's not so much like other guys that are unpredictable. It's, it's what the hell's going on in his brain. And, and it's always been the case. I mean, even, yeah, even in media day this week, he's talking about his fight versus Derek Brunson. Like everyone else doesn't know what they're talking about and how he fought a perfect fight. And that he like nine out of ten times judges are gonna give him that. Do you mean Cannoneer? It, it just yeah, sorry. Uh I was just making I sure. Bronson, I was just right? making sure. Yeah, yeah no, the, this fight against Cannoneer, just uh right at the end of the year, he's still talking about how he wouldn't change a thing, he wouldn't be more urgent, he wouldn't fight at a higher pace, he wouldn't he 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 said it was perfection. He said he was in the matrix, he didn't get touched. He's a guy who's always had this apparent mythical jujitsu that people talk about and he flies out to train with Hamzat or I think it's even the other way around Hamzat flies him out to get grappling rounds in with and I don't think he's ever going to grapple in a fight it's just, like he's he's a guy that's got so many question marks and could do so many things that I get uncomfortable betting on any fight he's a part of and I do think that in a pure striking match we saw how undisciplined he is we saw how he's just going to want to get he, – he gets punched in the face, and more than anything, he loses his game plan. Yeah, and he tries to get it back, and it's it's the same reason why betting on Michelle Pereira can scare you. Michelle Pereira is different, but it's like – remember when Sean, uh, Sean Strickland start, uh, fought uh, Jack Marshman, and he's just piecing Jack Marshman up for every fight. And they're in the third round, and and Sean is literally leaning in, letting him hit his face, and being like, "Come on!" Like free, having a meltdown. And it's like when you're putting your hard-earned cash on someone, you want to know that they're going out there with full intentions of not getting into a firefight, not making dumb decisions, not willing to get hit to to or be hit to get to get to get his off, you know. And so. That was almost a point, Dan, that you're mentioning that I actually put into the camp of a positive for the Imavov backers. I mean, you saw that grappling match. I know you did um, at Submission Underground where he got flying rear naked choked. Like, let's be real. I mean, Strickland's mm-hmm. not going to come out here and put the hurt on Nasruddin. I mean, Edmund Shabazian can wrestle. Ian Heinish can wrestle. They got smoked. They got smoked via finishes. So... I love watching Imavov progress. And I think that I know we say this a lot and we have pretty much always been right, but I think that this is going to be a big time coming out party for Imavov where similar to Delize, you're not going to get these prices again. This seems like a very good price on a guy who has so much potential. I think that win or lose, I think I'll be happy with the fact that I had Imavov at minus 110. Even if he goes out there and gets knocked out, I think I would sleep like a baby knowing I got minus 110 on a guy that I fully believe can be a contender at middleweight. I guess the guy coming off the couch. Right. Right. Still clearly focused on what previously happened. 
Yeah. I mean, obviously he's, he loves to fight. He's not a guy that just doesn't go to the gym when he's not in camp. Like he, he goes to get licks in. Cause he, he's like, he's like happy Gilmore. He craves the contact taking the whatever heaters off the chest. Um, but yeah, he's not in fight camp. And then yeah, I, I love Strickland. It's just hard for me to not lean Imavov. Um, it's also worth mentioning that this is taking place at 205. The only reason why I want to mention that is because Sean Strickland used to fight at 170. Um, and so I'm not saying he's gonna be sm- he's small for 185. I know he cut a lot of weight. He is small for 205, though. And I know it's nice because Imavov's a 185er, so it's not like he's going up to fight like a serious 205er. But I think that come fight night, Imavov's going to look in better shape, pretty significantly heavier. Um, So that's also another point for Imavov, in my opinion. So last thing, Dan, we're going to do ankle lock a little different this year. And we're going to do it how we used to do it, where – because we're not in a game and because there's no consequences, we're not going to pick one every week. If there's not one that we are worth that we are solely on, on the flip side, I think that if there are two picks or three picks that you and I are just like five units, we love this shit. We can pick more than one. My question to you, and we're going to track the record. These are just our, let's say one day we're like, these are, we have our track picks and these are just the, the bomb, the ankle locks. Do you have one for this week that you're like, I want to ankle lock this mug. I am so confident in this pick. There's no way this pick loses. I, I love it. I want, I want to ankle lock it. Do you got one? The only one I'm, I'm considering, and it's, I've got itchy trigger finger here, maybe just because we haven't done one in five or so weeks. But I like, I love the spot for putting Alice Soriano. I really do. Mm. Is it weird that I was between Ige and also Punahele? My my only fear with Punahele is we're putting a lot of stock in a guy who hasn't shown us a whole bunch. I mean, he's only fought four times in the UFC or five times, but losing two of them. Um, this is such a good spot for him, though. I We can watch weigh-in still and make a decision. Yeah, so here, here's what's going to happen. We're going to do ankle locks as often as we can. You might get two some weeks. You might get zero some weeks. The fact that we don't need to force them on those cards where Danny and I were scratching our heads is nice, but I want to pretend like this is just like, let's say you only follow ankle locks. Here's how you would do. Cause Danny and I know we're positive cappers. We've been positive tracked for a while. What can we do with just the creme de la creme? So I guess we'll post it on Twitter. That's usually the easy way to go about it. Okay. At ankle pick pod on Twitter. Anything else gentlemen? That's all I got. See y'all next week. Ho-ha! Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.